Welcome to the podcast where we discuss science, technology, and, and politics. politics. Welcome everyone to uh, the podcast. This episode, however, is different from the ones we've recorded thus far and likely different from the ones we will record in the future because today is June 7th. And as we are recording this, um, our country has been rocked with a series of protests, protesting systemic oppression, police brutality. And here in the podcast, we strongly support the Black Lives Matter movement. And we wanted to make an episode talking specifically about issues that can intersect with the kind of problems that are being protested today. Because this podcast may seem distant and separate from those type of concerns, but it's it's something that we always have to keep in mind. And I, I believe we, as or especially me as someone in the technology field, um, living in the Bay Area, we have this idea that tech is some kind of savior. It's completely neutral in it wipes away any kind of biases of the creators or implementers. Um, but that's simply not true. So this episode is going to be talking about the use of machine learning and technology in the police and justice system. Yeah, because it's, it's important to recognize that when we talk about emerging technologies, we can kind of get diluted into talking about just the technology, because when we're talking about technology that is still being developed, we don't really have a as many case studies of that interacting with the social world that we live in in our entire lives. So we can kind of view it as this kind of neutral and separate phenomenon. We view the technology without the humanity, but the whole point is that humans are going to be using and interacting with this technology mm -hmm. and that cannot be forgotten. That cannot be removed. You have to realize who is it serving? Yeah. When, you know? when we, when we talk about technology, saving humans or making the world better we have to figure out who 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 is it making the world better for mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. is it doing that and we have to be cognizant of the problems that can arise when we treat technology as just a savior that will come and solve our social problems because nothing has just solved social problems before and i doubt it's going to in the future and those social problems there's stuff we have to fix and they're going to remain with us with this technology and so we have to make sure that this technology is used for alleviating social ills and not exacerbating them. So with that in mind, mm -hmm. we are going to talk about uh, right. justice, machine learning in policing and related topics. And Ethan, I believe you have a, you've been doing some research on some cases of this. Yeah. So in, in recent years, um, there's been a major movement to include machine learning techniques, artificial intelligence techniques in the police and justice system. So the, 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 mindset behind this actually came from a pretty positive place. So the early, and I mean, early sounds like it's a long time ago, but this is relatively mm -hmm. recent. We're talking this, this, this uh, century. The early argumentation came from a background of a justice system that was overburdened. We have a very high incarceration rate. We have, um, and we have a very overpacked court system. I've worked in a court before and, and trust me, we get flooded with people. So the, so the idea was we've got so many people coming through our justice system, flooding through, and we've got very few judges. And the judges we do have are prone to human bias. They are, they can be racist. They, but even less than that, they can be based on, they could use their decisions based on a whole series of heuristics. There was a series of studies that showed that judges made dramatically different decisions uh, depending on the time of day, they, that's they did, interesting. That's I know it's crazy. They, whether they just ate determines pretty heavily and to a high level of statistical significance, the severity of the punishment that they place in a sentencing. Hearing, oh my God. Which is crazy. Um, there was also a study where they showed judges um, sample cases where they asked for them to make a ruling on it. Same mm -hmm. fact pattern for everyone. But the thing is they gave them a series of them, but they replicated the exact same case at one point within their data set because mm -hmm. this thing was they should if given the same exact fact pattern give the same exact result same sentencing huh. same right. punishment but they don't most of the judges gave different sentences to the exact same case when it came up to them uh again. interesting so that was the so they were like hey judges might be biased and and the big problem is is that you want you want cases that go through the justice system where if it's the exact same fact pattern, 
mm-hmm. to be ruled on exactly the same everywhere. Right. I could see that. I could see the urge to, I mean, we see this system and, and we see double standards across many different um, situations. It, there's a lot of luck in the system. It depends right. what judge you get basically in many cases. So I can, I can see the urge of let's make this objective. Yeah. Cause the idea was if you, you just have this, this set of data that is going in and the judge has to look at the data uh, data meaning just facts in this case, not, mm-hmm. not like statistics, and then make a decision. And you want that to be the same everywhere because otherwise it's unfair. If if my case would be radically different if I did it in the courthouse one city over, then you can right. argue that there's like some kind of problem there. So, but with with good intentions come um, there, there's a, there's a there's a phrase related to good intentions, um, something to do with pavement, but. Um, I see. I see you wondering. It's the it's the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I was trying to say that a little. Yeah, I, honestly, I did not catch it. I'm sorry. I, I was too Didn't subtle there. It. I'm glad that I specified. Yeah. So I was like, was... pavement. You hit the pavement <laughs> running on good intentions. I was. Yeah. So they so they began adopting these algorithms, um, and there are two major ones that um, are used. One is to detect the crime itself, and that's a predictive policing algorithm that mm. determines where crimes are likely to be committed, sometimes individuals that are at a higher risk uh, of committing crimes and allows mm-hmm. the police to preempt them. And then the other is risk assessment. And that's once they've been arrested, you use it in the court system. That's kind of the one that we were talking about to determine likelihood of reoffending. And those then are used to determine sentencing, meaning you could get years different on your sentence, depending on what the risk score that the algorithm gives you. And that's Huh. That, that, that's kind of problematic for some. Should, should I go into yeah. some of the specific history or do you want to no, talk actually, about I think, how they might work? Yeah, let's talk about how this all works. Um, so, I mean, basically, this is these are using machine learning techniques. Um, and I know that's kind of a buzzword, um, but I like to think of machine learning as another way of saying uh, line fitting or linear regression. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, so um, I guess the best example is, say you have some kind of function, right? Mm-hmm. And you put in, uh, you want this function to, when you get an apple, you give a positive number. When you get an orange, you get a negative number. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, that's a little weird, but say you, you've got this box in front of you and you give it an apple. And the apple has all these different characteristics, like the color the the squishiness the the how how sour how sweet it is you know all the You're making me hungry a- for apple I'm sorry yeah apple characteristics and and stuff that differs between the apple and the orange right so it's easy for humans to look at it and go okay from my prior experience I know this is an apple I know this is an orange but if we were to do this artificially we need some kind of like basis to determine how appleish something is or how orangeish something is which seems a little hard to describe. Yeah, I mean, uh, kind of kind of a weird example, um, but actually one of the di- most difficult things of all of these is having the characteristics to base things on. Like, yeah, like you, I, could, I can't imagine how I would tell a machine to identify a cat. Like, I'm not right. sure yeah. no, how it's to like, define it so it would be able to get rid of dogs, for example. Exactly, yeah, and it's all, all um, this idea of dimensionality, right? Mm-hmm. You want, the best is you want, like, one or two, or you want the smallest amount of characteristics because the more characteristics you have to train on, the longer it's going to take. Um, and what do I mean by train? Um, so let's go back to the original case where you put an apple into a machine and it, and it gives you a positive number. You get an orange, you get a negative number, right? Another way we could do this is say we had a Cartesian plane. Okay, so a graph from high school. Mm-hmm. Um, Fun. We're yeah. bringing up my high school memories. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, a way you could do it is say there was some kind of graph of all of the values. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the, all of the apples are on the positive Y thing and then all under them are all of the oranges. Right. So the way you could think of it is, Oh, the Y value determines how appleish or how orangish something is. Let's see. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to explain without any kind of visual. But if you can think of, say, like in a Y value determines how orangish or how apple-ish something is, 
if it's higher up, it's more appleish. If it's lower, it's more orangish, right? So now if we just have that, let's add another dimension. Okay, so it has an X and a Y. So it turns out that oranges are in some kind of sphere over here and apples are some, somewhere over here, right? So there's some way to group the apples and oranges just from the values of their uh, characteristics. So once we've got that, you can start off with a simple line, right? And that might, may divide the apples and oranges between them. But when things get more complex, you're not gonna just have a line. Um, I know I talked about linear regression, but there could be nonlinear regression. Whereas the line dividing the two choices, apple or orange, oh, is and, more and, curved. Yeah, and for, for, for the listeners, he's using his hands <laughs> to draw a wavy line up and down. Wavy line, wavy line. But I guess the, the one way that you do this is it's kind of an iterative process where you start off with the very basic straight line. And as you give it more data, if it's wrong, it's going to shift itself to fit that data. Mm -hmm. So the idea is the estimate of the function that determines where it's an apple or if it's an orange is going to get better the longer you keep putting apples and oranges inside of it. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. So you could think, say you had that box, right? And it's, it was horrible. It was a 50-50 chance each time. If you put it through once, maybe you can tinker the, the stuff inside of it, that black box. You can uh, break that uh, abstraction and modify some of the values that determine that. And then the next time you go, maybe you get 51%, 52%. And it goes all the way up until you get mostly whatever threshold you want um, to differentiate between those two parts. And this is kind of interesting because it's all dependent on the data you give it. Mm. So it seems like where the problem would arise. It is the problem. So um, say, for example, we had that apple and orange box and we wanted to test, say we only gave it like mostly apples and barely any oranges, right? That means the area of where those uh, apples could be could vary widely from where they actually are. I see. So they're going to be, it's going to be better at predicting apples than it is predicting oranges. Another example is there have been cases where, say you have a data set that's 90% one thing naturally. Like, uh, I don't know, say it's a, a circle and square determiner. So you put something <laughs> in, you go, is this a circle? Is this a square? Right? Say in, in the world, 90% of the things that you have to test on it are circles. That means if it just guesses circle every single time, you're already at 90% uh, accuracy. Mm. So you see like the, there's a, a fallacy here because it, if you just put in one thing, then that accuracy is only going to be dependent on the data set that you have and not on reality. I see. Yeah. And I, I see how problems could definitely arise there. Yeah. Could you go a little bit on those, on those problems? Yeah. Okay. So for example, let, let's think a specific, a specific example of, of this. So in, in, in 2013 uh, in Wisconsin, there was a case where um, uh, this man, Eric Loomis, I have the exact, uh, I have the, the, the court hearings from every step in front of me here mm. was, was, arrested for fleeing a traffic officer and then driving a motor vehicle without an owner's consent. So these are traffic related. They're, they're, they're not, they're, they're obviously problematic. No one wants to, no one, no, you shouldn't flee from traffic offenders, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. But the, this, this isn't like a major murder crime, basically. Right. Like this isn't like a, like a major, major, major crime. It, it, so it was unarmed, I'm assuming, or it was unarmed. It was, it was, it was stuff like that. Okay. So, but when when he then goes to his sentencing, the judge uses this program called COMPASS, which stands for Correctional Offender Management Profiling for Alternative Sanction. That's a really fancy, fancy algorithm term. But basically what it did is it put in a whole bunch of factors about this individual and demographic, demographic information about the individual, where they're from. Um, so those are the characteristics, right? Those are the... Yes. Got it. Yes, yeah. Took in all that data... And then they then eventually gave him a risk assessment score that determines what it thinks is the most likely chance for. It's kind of likely. like, have you ever watched the likely to uh, reoffend? Have you watched the minority report? 
it's very similar to the minority report the, the, okay. the idea the idea behind well it's minority report was was before um, right. the crime itself but basically they were saying what are the chances of this guy committing another crime what is his recidivism my, my question is is given like the the culture of innocent until proven guilty in america or the the so-called culture it does this how does it, it this how is this problematic lead? it seems really problematic because he got a multi-year prison sentence mm-hmm. because it said he, there's, he's such a high risk of reoffending that you need a larger prison sentence to deter him from committing crimes of course you'll never know in his particular case if right. he actually was higher risk of reoffending because the second you use that data it alters the path he would have taken like if you add an extra four years to his prison sentence well of course yeah there's no way to determine would he have reoffended if he had less a sentence so right. that's problematic and then so he challenges it but there's a couple of problems with these type of algorithms when you challenge them legally one yeah so well first there's this concept uh, called the black box um that is used mm-hmm. very often in 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 discussing this type of thing which essentially describes these algorithms as as black boxes where you're unable to see in to see their mechanisms and how they're functioning mm-hmm. the problem is typically twofold one this this is like the funny this is this is really funny to me these algorithms are proprietary in many cases. They contain mm-hmm. trade secrets by the companies and private contractors that develop oh them. Oh my God. So the thing is, if, if, if you were to analyze them, if you were to look through them, you would be looking at trade secrets. So the court doesn't let you analyze them, doesn't let you scrutinize them to see how it functions. You're essentially being judged based on an algorithm. if they had a government contract, they would have to like disclose that. Well, they're, they're, they have to disclose it I believe to the to the government officials, oh, but the government has no obligation to then reveal the trade secrets to the Got individual it. petitioner. And it might even be in the contracts that they can't. Yeah, I don't right. know the specific details for Compass, okay. but because imagine if I'm just a normal petitioner and I'm suing them right. for whatever reason, I could be the I could be the competitor, and I could just take some random person sue That's on their true. behalf I see. and get the information. Okay, but the problem is, is you're being judged by, by something that you're unable to examine the reasoning for it. Like in the legal system, you challenge the reasoning, you see their argumentation and you're like, actually the evidence says this, the law says this, but you can't challenge the risk assessment program because there's no, there's no like jury as in like, yeah. Well, it's, it's not even, there's no like lawyer. Like, like when you're going up against, they're making an argument saying this is my stipulation. A, they did this B, they were at there. C, therefore, if you accept A and B, then C, they are guilty. That's a really simplified yeah. version, but that's how legal argumentation works. You lay out the fact pattern, you link it together with the law, and then you reach a legal conclusion that the judge you want the judge to adopt. And you can look at that, and you can challenge it. You can read the brief. You can say, hey, their legal reasoning is faulty here. Hey, the evidence actually shows that, I, that this doesn't right. hold. Right. But you can't do that with an algorithm you're not allowed to see. You just mm-hmm. get – and the funny part is you often don't even get your score. In many cases, oh, that's the score is also proprietary. I, so th- this is Wait, really so so really the judge alone sees it in like a in some kind of like fascist situation. This could really just be an excuse to yeah, you could just give you random. Could, you could sentences. just say yeah, you you get sentenced higher because you're a political dissident. Right. That's not how they're being used currently, but obviously it's something to keep in mind. Yeah, and then in some cases, once you um break through the this black box this shield mm. <laughs> there's the awkward situation that sometimes arises where these companies don't know how to explain the algorithm that is reached they're like yeah okay you can look at it quick warning in advance though we don't know how it works right and it, let me talk about this yeah. a little bit that's that's interesting because a lot of this like so i talked a little bit about like the iterative process where you get the data, if it's wrong to what, what you think it is, you tinker with the values. But you're I, basically I, just running the same thing over right, and over yeah. again. Yeah. So so and, say and improving and learning. I've got I've got a weird looking apple, right? But it's still definitely an apple. Mm-hmm. And it, and it turns out the black box uh, algorithm that you've got in front of you, it, it says it's an orange. That you can use that to tweak what you've already got. So you tell to, it, hey, you were wrong. You were wrong. And then it fix your that values as part of their it, Apple it, set. Um, you could say the line that it, it has inside of it to determine if it's an apple or an orange 
gets tweaked a little bit in response mm -hmm. to that. So maybe it says, okay, that those characteristics, those are more uh, apple-y than they are orange. So let me tweak the line a little bit. But there's no guarantee that by the end of that, those values are gonna make any sense to us humans at least. Mm -hmm. Like so we don't specifically tell the algorithm, we don't tell the algorithm how to tweak its values. We just say to tweak it and the algorithm does it by itself. And so it can reach a weird path to a correct conclusion. Basically. Yeah, there, yeah, there was this, um, it's an interesting kind of off topic, but there was a, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in um, a future episode, I believe, but there is an, a study online where they were detecting wolves in, in uh, images. Hmm. And they found a way to ask the algorithm, what, are the, what were the most striking variables in that image that told you the wolf was there? And the values that they found was the background, like this weird gray splotch away from the away from the fox's or the the wolf's head. That's well, but I guess the way that you would test that is then see if it makes right answers, even if the path well, to get there is weird. Yeah. The, the, well, the idea was, you know, there must be something in the data set that all of the wolves somehow have a weird gray blob next to their head. So that's a problem with the data set. Hmm. So if you give a data set, for example, say all of those oranges had, or all of the um, apples that I gave into that algorithm had a small black dot on the top corner. Not really corner to an apple, but you get the idea. <laughs> Maybe the algorithm figures out, okay, if you have a black dot, you're an apple. I see. And, there's, and there, there lies the problem because it's looking at something most specific when really it's the larger sample that is, that's influential. Yeah. At and, least and to us humans. With these algorithms, they use so much data. They, they, they plug yeah. in all the demographic inf information that is collected. And so you have things from income, zip code, education, right. uh, criminal record, race, gender, um, religion, all of these things. And then they essentially run the algorithm to, to focusing on the predictions being mm -hmm. as accurate as possible. And sometimes they're accepted with the low as like 70% correct prediction rate, which seems problematic right. when you're dealing with justice. Well, it's like, I mean, also the idea is how do you determine if it's correct or not? You know, in, in mm -hmm. these data sets, the way it works is they have to be what they call labeled. And labeled means you've got this case and this is the correct result. So in, in this, in the legal case, you'd go, this is the, this is the case, this is all of their characteristics, and this is what sentence they should get, or this is what risk value they have. Who decided the risk value they should have? Yeah. Was that, was that objective? No, that, that came by a human. With individual cases, it's, it's even trickier because then you have to determine what should have been the correct Exactly. outcome of a case it's probably easier with recidivism rates but it's also hard to run a test like that right right where you get all of this information about an individual within a private legal matter and then you're able to see what happens in the future because for each individual prediction you make if you give a risk score to the judge and they use it and there's no way to know what they would have been without it if that makes sense right but i mean to, to be fair and these algorithms, usually they don't just come out with their result. They have some kind of confidence score as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I'm not sure how they, they took that into account of in, these, in these situations. That being said, just the fact that they have some kind of confidence percent, percentage, these things are probabilist, probabilistic. Um, so there's no reason to assume that it's correct on any given sample. You know, you could just have a string of 20 bad predictions and that's a, something that could happen. There's no, there's no guarantees in any of this. Yeah. So, so, th so that kind of becomes the problem is that you have these proprietary technologies and let's say the court grants you access, which they don't always do, but let's say the court grants you access and they give mm -hmm. you the algorithm. You then encounter two problems. One is that the creators themselves might not be able to articulate how the, how the right. algorithm is reasoning. That they use this machine learning process and it reaches this really weird way to get to the conclusion that, seems to be statistically accurate in a probabilistic sense, but you, that you can't really challenge it because you don't know what it's doing. 
Right. And then more problem, more problematic. Well, I guess equally as problematic is sometimes they will give you access to the algorithm and maybe it is a bit easier to understand it's the way it, way it reaches its conclusions, but you might lack the technical expertise. The lawyer might lack the technical expertise to be able to challenge it because you can look at an algorithm. You can see this huge giant data set and and the calculations. And it's like, how are you supposed to challenge that for a judge? And what these end results look like, they're just values. Like they're a list of numbers. The idea would be like floats. Is, yeah, that, that's hard to then yeah. create a legal challenge to in a superior court. Yeah, like, so how, how do you argue that coefficient 512 is too high? You know? <laughs> it's, it's too high. Or it could be that the conclusion is being reached due to like racially racial grounds, for example. Right. And I want to talk about the... I want to talk about the characteristics picking for a second. Yeah, but like like the problem on that, and just to lead into the characteristics picking, is that we could reach since we don't since the algorithms are often proprietary and they might not understand how they work. You could reach a conclusion using an avenue of legal reasoning you're not allowed to use. Oh. So, for example, a judge cannot say, this individual is black. I'm going to give them an extra five years on their sentence. Right. They're not allowed to do that. But the algorithm could do it. You could reach it using just that characteristic, right. that path, but it'd be allowed um, because of this idea of neutrality and because of the fact that it could be that no one knows how it's working. The people that made it don't know how it's working. The judge, yeah. who might be out of the age range of technology users, might not understand it in the slightest. All they know sure. is that it's giving them a number. And there's just no way to really understand how it's working, but it could be using things that we would otherwise not accept. So but yeah, let's talk about some characteristic picking. Yeah. Also like the, I, I just wanted to point out, like you were talking about some of the characteristics. What were they? Um, like zip code, uh, uh, zip age, code. I'm assuming. Well, the thing is they often use things like zip code because in some cases they can't use race. So they'll use mm-hmm. zip code to mean race. So they'll find they'll find areas that are ninety nine percent America's you know segregationed along uh, zip codes, and then they'll right. use the zip codes to mean a racial group. Sure. Um, but yes, they'll use tons of individual pieces of demographic information. So the interesting thing is, is in machine learning, we were talking about you wanted to keep the least amount of characteristics possible for it to run fast. But in any case, it, the more characteristics you add it will be at least as good like uh, accuracy wise. So, so say for example, we go back to, we'll, we'll mix it up. I don't know. Lamps, lamps and cups. Okay. You got lamps, lamps and, cups. and cups. Yeah. Very difficult to figure out if they're, if they're either or, but um, the idea is say we had this lamp and cup or la- lamp and cup, you know, we're going to change this. We're going to do water bottles and, and markers. How about that? Just for the, for the voice. But if you add a characteristic of how many leaves are on the tree next to it, it may not add anything, but it will be at least as good as what you originally had. So you can just keep adding characteristics, adding characteristics, and you're going to get more accuracy or at least as good accuracy. But then you have to wonder, like, like you were talking about, like, is that, is that morally right? Yeah. So, well, and it's, it's accuracy is also an interesting thing here because let's, let's talk about like using crime data, for example, mm-hmm. uh, to predict it. There, there are two possible problems that can arise here. One if the data is biased and one if the data is actually correct. So the, the problem right. with the biased data is take crime rates. In many jurisdictions, African-Americans are policed heavier than other groups. Mm-hmm. So in some cases, like African-Americans also are along the lower end of the socioeconomic demographics across the United States and mm-hmm. socioeconomics and crime are pretty heavily correlated. And that has its own institutional and, 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 and historical background there. Yeah. But just focusing specifically on the issue of over-policing, if you have a focus on African-Americans and more African-Americans are brought to trial for the same crime or are then at trial convicted more often for the same crime. Both of these are, are true uh, statistics. Mm-hmm. That means that when you get into the crime data, you get a you get more African-Americans that are in the crime data set as, as arrested and then right. found guilty right. than the absolute value of other racial groups. Mm-hmm. And so if there is 
a, if there is more crime data on African-Americans because of over-policing or from higher conviction rates within the court system or more intense prosecution, then that means that they will, they will take that crime data and say, hey, sure. you're more likely to commit a crime. And so you'll get an African-American that has not committed a crime. And in reality, because there is, we may not be able to determine the numbers, but in real life, there is an actual there is there there is a correct answer to will they reoffend like th- that's like in, in real life if you didn't I mean, do anything if you, if it's what you would say like in in a in the world where you knew everything if you were yeah in the world yeah. where you knew all events past and Obviously. future right they like for example will i commit a crime within the next month Th- there's a correct answer no one will ever know it because we're not living in the future well i know it um but yeah well i mean i know it i guess i'm the one that knows yeah. it I don't know if I'm phrasing this properly, but the, but the idea well, is... Well, you told me, you, but okay, we should yeah. probably keep that off air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The idea there is you could have an individual that in reality was never going to reoffend. Mm-hmm. Like if, if nothing else had happened, they would not reoffend. But because of this data is then sentenced to a higher, higher amount, uh, a higher sentence, so a greater amount of time in prison for crime they did not commit and never were going to commit based on the fact that data was biased going in. So you have biased data going in leading to biased results. Uh, so that's problematic. But then the yeah. bigger, yeah, yeah. The, another problem is what if the data is correct? So what if it isn't that police officers are arresting African-Americans at higher rates and that judges are convicting African-Americans at higher rates for the same crime? Again, these are, that's, that is the case. So you're saying, you're saying that, say again, I'm sorry. Yeah, so, so, we, so we have two problems. One is, no, I get these, the first problem. These algorithms what happens, are based on what data. happens if it's Yeah, so I yeah, I'll lead into that. So like what if what if the data is correct? So it won't work on a national level because the data isn't correct. Right. But maybe on some local hypothetical world, you have a town in which there has never been racial targeting by police officers. Right. Or something like that. So the problem is is that these algorithms not only is there kind of like an implicit problem where you're being tried for the crimes of other people like you, because even if you, right. even if it's correct, like for example, men commit more murder, more murders than women, statistically speaking. There are more ma- male murderers um, than women. Sure. Does that mean that, that should that be taken into account? Yeah, no. like like because what you'll do is you'll get individuals that weren't ever going to commit a crime that haven't committed a crime that are being tried based off of that characteristic instead of their own unique circumstances. And we can say like, Hey, if we do this enough times, we'll catch enough future criminals to make it worthwhile. But as a society, we have to like decide like at what point do we value innocence over, over catching some amount of theoretical criminals? Well, I mean the idea, this is interesting of like false positives. Oh, I'll get into that right after you. Um, right. So talk us, take us through that. Yeah. So, I mean, like when we're designing these, we have to think, where do we want, if we're wrong, which side do we want to be wrong on? You know? And the answer, usually in the, in the American style, like judicial system is, well, we'd rather let a guilty man free than a send an innocent man. Send an innocent man. And that, that comes from a background of the United States being very skeptical about the usage of state power against its own citizens. Oh, like like a back from revolutionary like. Well, yeah, because I the well, this is not just in the U.S., but the general mm-hmm. idea is that the state is uniquely powerful in society. It has the ability to use deadly force, legitimacy. It has well, they they're they're privileged to use violence. If we yes, they, use they they have. Foucault. Yeah, well, they have a monopoly on the use of legitimate violence. Um, that's actually the definition that I actually tend to prefer to use when I'm talking about the state. Not, not because of, of, of moral categories, but it's because it's a very effective description of what a state is. Um, mm. Because a state, unlike any other organization, is allowed to use physical force against you yeah. to comply. Yeah. Can, yeah. Amazon cannot execute me. They probably will, but they, they cannot. Um, <laughs> at least um, not legitimately. Right. Anyways, so there was concern about the state having so much power. Like when you're when you're being arrested, it's you versus this multi-billion dollar uh, using just the state, not not the entire federal government. Sure. You're against this massive federal infrastructure with the ability to arrest, with the ability to lock you away for years. And there's like, and we would rather 
bias the system away from having the state right control innocent people versus um guilty when we were talking about false positives and false negatives just explain the difference between the two really quick for the uh, oh yeah um so like actually i don't know if they're super useful in this context because i'm not sure which one is the positive and which one's the negative like well like is the false positive that oh somebody went to jail in this particular context yeah a false positive is when the algorithm falsely gives a positive result for them and the positive result is being the, uh, uh, th- that they, they are will going re-offend. to re-offend or re- okay. re- will reoffend. And false yeah. negative is saying they will not reoffend when in reality. But they end up do, doing, yeah. So this algorithm, Compass, ProPublica did an analysis of this after this case. And I'll, and I'll go to the conclusion of the case shortly because I realized that we kind of skipped how that court case went. I Yeah, I'm dying to know what happens. Yeah. So with, with Compass, they calculated. And let me see. So they, they focused on false positives and false negatives. And they found that the algorithm was actually decently fair percentages wise. But the problem was, is that they were making different mistakes for different groups. So African-Americans had a larger rate of false positives and white Americans huh. had a higher rate of false negatives. So to simplify that, if you were, if you were African-American the program was more likely to err and say you were guilty. Right. And if you were white, the, pro- the program was more likely to err and say you were not guilty. So that's clear error, evidence of bias, right? Well, the thing is the error rate was rough, was very similar. So the chance of the program getting it wrong oh. was roughly the same for both groups. But the problem is, is they got it wrong in different directions. Interesting. So that, so that's kind of, that's the interesting part is that, again, the rate of getting it wrong was similar, but it got it wrong to put African-Americans in jail and got it wrong to get white Americans out of jail. Huh. No, so, that, that just, I think that shows either yeah. bias in, in the implementation or bias in the data set. But if you, take, if, if you take like a false, the chances of a, of a false positive and you say that there's a certain percentage is the same for both groups. Mm-hmm. Even if you hold them to be the same, you can get biased results. Because if you then take in a data set that has more individuals in one category than another, and then you apply the same false positive rating. So if you did right. 25% for both groups, but one is a group of, you have a data set of four, another is, a, is like 100, then false positives, you're going to get one person from the group of four, and you're going to get 25. Right. And so the, the rate's exactly the same, but in terms of absolute numbers, that leads to more in one group than another. Yeah. And then when you take it out of the data context and you take those absolute numbers and you put them within the population, mm-hmm. you could have a higher percentage or a higher risk of you being falsely accused if you're from one group than another. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what was happening. So, so if that makes please. sense. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Yeah. So, so this happened? is all very problematic. And then, so they, so he takes it to the Wisconsin Supreme court. And what this Wisconsin Supreme court says is, this program is allowed to be used and it's, it's still able to be used. Wow. Because the judge could reach the same decision without it as with it. So the logic was only if you can reach the exact same conclusion without usage of the program, is it legally justified? But that raises the kind of obvious question. If you can reach the exact same conclusion without why using you, the why program, use it at all? why are you using the program? So it was a really weird ending and the Supreme court has yet to rule on this. Um, I think it was actually denied certiorari for this particular case. They'll have to at some point, but uh, this is just for the, that means they're taking none of the evidence from previous. Well, so they went up to the Wisconsin Supreme court and Mm -hmm. then uh, Loomis filed for certiorari, which means to be filed, to be recognized by the Supreme court. And the Supreme court denied why? Why would they do that it? case? Well, y- there are so many certiorari petitions in a given right. in a right. given year. There and are only take... tons, and they take a small fraction right. of them. And they tend to focus on things with key constitutional problems or where there's a clash between multiple states, and that has right. to be resolved. They don't get all of them. They're going to have to at some point, but it will be from a different pa- fact pattern. Someone else will sue on this. This part has reached its terminus. Huh. I'm surprised um, that, like, 
so we for states that don't have any kind of legislation on this are is it open to be used like i feel like you should you yes. should have to rule to use it and not rule not to use it like, well basically it be an opt the, the bur the burden is on people affected by it so police are allowed to just right. ad adopt these programs well i don't know if they can just unilaterally i think you'd have to get your local government body to sure. approve it sure but they're being used across the country now um not this particular program but versions of it are being used across the country and in most major cities and they are freely adopted and then you can sue for them to be overturned or, or, or changes right. to it, like allowing them to be scrutinized in the, in, in the process. But there is no federal mandate saying that these are like a test to make sure that these are unbiased or anything like that. It's really up to mm -hmm. local jurisdictions, if that makes sense. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if one of these algorithms starts encrypting their data. Oh, I see. Like, and I, I don't know the, the technical uh possibility of this but it seems like if they were to put some kind of encryption key at the beginning and put something at the end so that basically it's um useless to look at the internal bits like the actual values oh, of the algorithm i don't know how uh how useful that would be but i could see that being used as a loophole yeah i, I just I can, I can see these growing because they give you that illusion of neutrality or right yeah, not only, but the it, the neutrality is an illusion for a couple of reasons. One is, of course, the biased data. It is completely and utterly dependent on the data being put in, and the data being put right. in can be biased. The data can be biased, but also the idea that we have to approach neutrality as the ultimate aim of these algorithms is, on its own, kind of like a series of moral assumptions. Oh, are you saying right? that like we shouldn't be trying to strive for neutrality? Well, not in all cases. And I'm not fully sure what my actual stance on this is. I, I've been mm -hmm. reading about this and researching it, and I'm, I'm not fully comfortable taking an absolute stand on these mm -hmm. issues because I don't think risk assessment algorithms are probably the, the tool by which you should fix right. systemic problems. But the arguments I've seen, and I'll put citations in the, in the description for all of, all of the stuff so you guys can read it more, is that people have argued that Sometimes you actually need algorithms and just in general, you have, you don't have to be neutral. Sometimes there are times where you have to correct imbalances. Like if you have biased data, perhaps you need the algorithm to adjust for that and be biased in the opposite direction that has its own problems with it. But like, if you look at the arguments for like affirmative action or, or programs that are designed to focus on specific groups in order to provide benefits to counteract right. historic harms, that's the similar idea there. Right. Or like I saw this one person argue that basically you should look at the percentages that you might want in an ideal society. Like how, how would you want the system to work in that? an ideal society? But yeah, exactly. That brings then problems in reverse where it right. could just be used. You, you, basically what I'm trying to say here is there's no easy answer. Right. If you use them as pure neutral arbiters, then you're going to get biased results, most likely, mm -hmm. uh, because the data is biased. Or you might entrench existing systemic problems that are leading to the data in the first place. Even well, if yeah, because the whole goal of this machine learning thing is to reflect the trends in the data. So if, we if, if these things are going to reflect the situations, all the systemic problems in the uh, United States right now, in the judicial system, and it's just going to replicate that. Like this is an automation tool in in reality. And then if you use this for the entire legal system, which is overburdened, you'll probably get quicker cases. But it's going to be ramping up the amount of cases that are excited in the or that are decided in the exact same way as other cases. And and that's and only maintaining these four. Maintain, yeah, right. Exactly. But right. the. But then the flip side isn't necessarily much better. Again, you could decide what if everyone was arrested at the same rate or what is the ideal percentage? Somehow you reach that. And then you think, what if we just jump to the socially desirable outcomes and skew the false positive and false negatives in a way that benefits oppressed groups? And in, in theory, that sounds nice. Like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll make an algorithm and it says there's going to be a, a higher chance of declare the false positive rate we're going to skew with that so that there is a 
like like with the African American one with the with the ProPublica, instead of it saying that when we error, we make African Americans guilty, we err on the side of making African Americans innocent. And you think, okay, that's going to make errors yeah. either way. Make the error. Rather that have direction. them in, yeah. But given the difficulties with determining what on earth socially acceptable percentages of arrest means, and the risk that come with messing around with an algorithm like that, is that you could reach outcomes that just don't fit within our idea of justice. And th- think of the arguments around affirmative action and imagine them applied to the legal system. Because if people are thinking, oh, the, the justice system just let you off because of your demographic characteristics, because the system is skewed to make sure there's not that many arrests in a particular area. Mm-hmm. Basically all, and again, I'm not saying it's necessarily bad. And I'm not saying that the current algorithms are terrible and should be thrown away. It's just that there are so many problems with this and most of them are tied to values that we have to decide as a society. At some point we have to make the decision. Do we want this to be neutral and reflect historic problems? Do we want to alter it? Where do we want the false positive and negatives? What do we want the false negatives and false positive rates to be? Are they to be the same for everyone? Are they skewed false positive or skewed false negative? These are all decisions we have to make and they're difficult decisions. Interesting. And, and I think it all comes back to the perception of this is objective. Yeah, yeah. Because it, you know, but it's, it's really it's not. hiding the fact that that major decisions have to be made here. Right. Oh, I agree. I agree. And um, again, I'm not. I don't actually. I'm not trying to come out on either side of this, other than obviously programs that are just implicitly biased and just just arrest right. African Americans at a higher rate are. There's not a world in which I can see that being an ideal outcome. Mm-hmm. But it's just the, the usage of algorithms will, will create these problems because they have to be designed. And no matter how neutral you try and make them, they never will be. And you're going to have to make right. a decision. Well, I mean, I don't want them to be made by a private company. I yeah, well, definitely, the, I mean, if I definitely if don't want them to be made by the government. <laughs> yeah, that's problematic. Make it by other AI that makes it. So what you're saying is we need an uh, all-knowing. AI superpower, yeah. Right. Basically, yeah, that's what you know, it seems like I'm all of our episodes just go back to that. Having well, it's because there's an allure of saying, "What if we just had someone that knew the answers and they did it?" But the unfortunate reality is that we have to make the decisions. Mm-hmm. There isn't a superpower that can just say what the right answer is, and in many cases, there isn't a right answer. Right. So that's why we study these things. That's why we. That, that's why we sit down and we talk about the politics of algorithms because right. they're not just algorithms, and they never are. No, they're never just, yeah. Yeah. We'll um, I guess one thing we haven't really touched with the time that we have remaining is we didn't, we talked a lot about, oh, what am I trying to say here? We talked a lot about risk assessment, but there's another aspect that we will cover in later episodes, but it might be interesting to bring up now, which is the predictive policing aspect of, right. of analyzing like locations. So one thing that I read about, and Alex, you can probably give us uh, a bit of information about it is that, and I, I know that I reached the, the, the climax, the, 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 the climax you, already. already this is the downhill. This is the downhill, comic. yeah. If um, you got, audience, if you haven't realized, this is almost the end of the episode. Yeah, we're about 10 minutes out, and I don't want to leave it unfilled. And so this is something we actually didn't talk about, is there are programs that are designed to take in information from a city and determine where the crime hotspots are right. and create a predictive algorithm that says, hey, this is where crimes are most likely to occur and then sends police officers sure. there. So it takes in prior police data. Mm-hmm. Um, That's like, what it w- focuses on, police right. reports. Basically the points on the map where crimes have occurred and probably the type, and it puts them in and it says, okay, where's the map? Yeah. Or where, where the utility of each police officer is best where? Exactly. And that's what pops out. But th- there, there are some problems. Um, just on a basic level, let's say it works perfectly. Mm-hmm. There is something within the American psyche and within most psyches, I would say, that instinctively rebels against the idea of the fact that you could look out your window and see a constant police presence walking back and forth. Well, it's terrifying. It's and terrifying. You, it's, it's absolutely terrifying. And then you ask People them, live with that why every day. are it's you there? So like, why, why are you here? Why are you right. here? And if they cannot give you an answer, there, there's just something 
within our freedom loving hearts. That seems wrong with the idea that a police officer can be told to stand outside your house and then not explain why they're there. It's just almost like, like a computer I think told it, to. it has something to do with like the presumption of innocence where yeah. you, like they're aging a crime. Yeah. There, there's like, it's, it's, they're already de facto assuming that there's some level of, of guilt before it happens. There's a, there's a, there's a threat here. There's an assumption of something's going to happen here. Because let's just say that, like, the police decided to monitor you separately. Like, there's Mm -hmm. a police officer outside of your house watching your comings and goings. Most people would view that as an incredible invasion of privacy. Sure. But in this case, that type of result can and has been reached. But the police officers aren't doing it because I hate you as an individual and I want to intimidate you. They're doing it because the algorithm is telling them to stand. And... Hmm. That's kind of, there's something iffy about it. But then there's a bigger problem. The bigger problem is that uh, because this is based on, on police data, you can get into feedback loops. Exactly. So there, was, there was an example, and, and Alex will explain feedback loops and stuff like that, but just using the real life example, let's say you use existing crime data. So you put on a map and you see where all the crimes are. But naturally, it isolates the areas that are highest crime and it mm-hmm. sends more police officers there. But the thing is, police officers are, are, are better able to detect crime in places that they are at versus places that Naturally. they are not at. Because <laughs> like, they can't predict it if they're not there. Right. But if you send more police officers to one area, more crime will be detected. Because mm-hmm. it's like this ambient level of crime, whatever the real actual data is, a percentage of which police officers catch, a percentage of which police officers do not. Right. And if you send more police officers to one area, a higher amount of the crimes in that area will be detected than otherwise. And you think, oh, hey, that's a good thing. We're getting crimes. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is then they put in the data that goes into the algorithm saying, we detected more crimes in the areas that we were put. Mm-hmm. And so the program reallocates additional police officers to that area right. who, and they detect more crime. And this feedback loop continues until you're rerouting the entire police force, basically, to, the, to these small isolated areas right. in a way that is actually hurting your ability to catch crime. Because now there's a bunch of crimes everywhere else, but it will never be included in the algorithm because police officers aren't there to detect them. I think, I mean, also, I feel like, and maybe this is a controversial statement, but I believe, like, if you've got more police officers there, there's more crime is going to be committed than normal. Hmm. And I think it's just because, I mean, I'm not exactly sure on, on the politics of this or if this is true, but I feel like as a, as a cop, I would be needing to do something to prove that I'm... There's a higher chance of like a false... Uh, yeah, or yeah. Incitement like I would, I would be investigating more people. Oh, that person looks suspicious. I'm going to go see... That's kind of what I mean when I say that they'll detect more crime. Like when, right. you have, when you have the entire police force in a small neighborhood area... It's, the, it's harassment for sure. The, yeah. But the problem is ta- talking about that buys data from the beginning. Mm-hmm. What if we then reallocate police officers to overwhelmingly minority neighborhoods? Exactly. Not only does this increase and continue the, 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 these systemic problems we're talking about, but that seems like the exact definition of over-policing. If the police mm-hmm. force is entirely focused on minority neighborhoods, as opposed to everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And no, this could be bad for the other neighborhoods because the other neighborhoods, police officers are getting redirected from them. Right. Even if there is crime there, it's just not being detected because everyone's being redirected to this one spot. Right. Right. And it, and it leads to, you know, disenfranchisement. And, and like, like I said, we, we can talk about feed, feedback loops, but you kind of already talked about it. It's a positive feedback loop. Mm-hmm. You start off with some bad data and the, I mean, I, in a utility, like an artificial intelligence standpoint, the utility of every officer is going to be the most where they're placed in a place that has more crime. So generally, the, the AI is going to put that to an extreme and say, okay, if, if every police officer is best where there's more crime, I'm going to put every police officer there. Yeah, yeah. I guess, though, we're, we're, we're almost done with this episode. And I guess what I kind of want to... Um, finalize with is that we focused a lot in this episode on the negative aspects that come with these type of algorithms. And they're important to discuss again, because we're not talking about just pure technology. We're talking about technology that affects human lives. We want to be wary. And we have to, we have to be careful because if we're talking, we're not talking abstract. Like I'm in a, I'm in a computer science lab 
typing up all of these code, right. we're detached in a way that that in any other situation, by default, kind of lowers your um, mental empathy, the way that you're thinking about these problems. But more importantly, these are systems that will affect millions of individuals beyond the, the computer terminal in which they are, are, are coded. Mm -hmm. And it is easy to forget that and just focus on the algorithms. It's easy to just, even in these conversations, it's easy to talk about, oh, wow, we're going to talk about the new piece of technology right. and forget that it's your neighbors, it's your friends, it's the people you see on the street that are going to be judged and held by these algorithms. And it's going to affect freedom. It's going to affect lives. Like, yeah, maybe we should talk about like the severity of this stuff. Because this, a wrong answer of this algorithm is not just, uh, oh man, we'll be better next time. That ruins a life. Yeah. And, and it, it could cause a family to go into turmoil. Yeah, exactly. When you aggregate it up to the entire United States, we're talking millions of people that go through the justice system every year mm -hmm. and could face extra years in prison that could inspire them to commit additional crimes or keep us from fixing the problems that led to the crimes in the first place. At the same time, judges can be biased and they can be racist. They can be idiots. Excuse my language judges out there. They can make bad decisions is basically what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. They're humans. And I think we had, we did focus a lot on the harm. And I think in later episodes, we can talk about some of the benefits of some of these mm -hmm. programs as well, because I'm, I'm not trying to say that these programs don't have benefits because the choice we're making, and I guess the important thing to keep in mind is not between a broken algorithm and a perfect justice system where we're like, it's, they're oh, yeah. both broken, but we, yeah, we're, we're choosing between a broken algorithm and a broken judge right. basically. But I mean, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to strive for more, more equality for all people. Yeah. Removing um, the biases of judges is a very powerful, it's an honorable, it's an honorable, honorable cause. Should, should algorithms be the solution to that? It's probably going to be in the future, probably a mix of both. Like yeah. both, both structural and both algorithmic. Yeah. As, it, as it, most it, stuff in our life is going to be. Yeah. There's, there's no one solution to most problems. I think that's, that's a, if there's any like catechism I can just take and use in most situation is that most problems tend to have more than one root and more than one, one solution. And I guess a problem with a lot of the technological approach is that you assume that you have this one solution that can then just, oh, once we get algorithms in there, don't worry, the justice system will be fixed because we right. get algorithms in there, get rid of those judges. It's going to be so much because like the thing with algorithm, like, okay, we're running on time. But in some cases, what if you don't want the same fact pattern to lead to the exact same result? Like what, there, right. sometimes there are situations that judges can use their human touch to keep in mind. Like there's a difference between someone that steals food to feed their family and someone that is stealing oh, for it for sure. kicks or whatever there. And you sometimes want the personal human touch that algorithms can't provide. Right. So we have to be, make sure that we understand that we're getting a level of objectivity. Sure. But we're also giving up stuff and we have we're to losing, we're losing we a human that. factor. Exactly. And where we want to draw the line on that is a very important question. Because again, I don't think I have an answer to any of these. I don't think any of these ethical debates have straight solutions. I know what I think in my head morally, where if I was designing it, where I'd want some of the balances to be. Mm -hmm. But that's going to be different for so many people. And it's through the democratic process that we would ideally solve these. But in most cases, that's not being done through Somebody's doing it. Process. You know, somebody's doing it. But. The amount of power over human lives that the, the, the developers have is pretty astonishing given the lack of accountability they have. I'm well, I, want, I also wonder if, if the government's doing any like analysis on, on this data before it put it into practice, you know? Yeah. Maybe, like there's been calls. It's very difficult to analyze like the, like we talked about earlier, it's difficult to analyze the yeah. solutions. And but. right now there is, there's just no legal regulatory body or legal, guidelines for this to be adopted on a national level and so this is a field for all you future lawyers and current lawyers out there this is a place that would be great to work on uh, and that's kind of the goal of a lot of these is to talk about these issues so that we can begin to figure out what is the policy perspective we want on this do you have any perspectives at a developer for the yeah just don't don't impart your biases on on your work how do you, um, how do you avoid doing that you don't you know I guess, you know, it's a difficult situation because of a lot of these developers, they're told what to do, you know, and it's not, they have the moral say to work for that company if or not. But if you're given a job, 
to do something and, and the company says you need to do this, you know, what I'm trying to say is, is the biases of a developer are going to be imparted in their work. And, and just like any other profession. I, I, I'm outside. Well, I'm not outside. I mean, I'm in the, I, I'm, I'm working on tech policy. I'm in the Bay Area, but I'm out. You're in the I'm outside of the actual production of, of computer science programs. So to me, all I see is institutions and incentives and social structures, because that's my world. And I, I, I look at them mm-hmm. like, how can you not see this and how this will interact with every other factor in society and lead to the results? Right. And I just, I don't really know what it's like from the perspective of those that are developing it. It's definitely, it's definitely an idea of this is just math, mm. you know, or this is just science, which of course it's not, but yeah. Um, I think with that, Black Lives Matter, um, please donate. I think we're going to put some stuff on the, in the description of this podcast of places where you can yes, donate. Yes, uh, NAACP in particular has some very great. Yeah charity uh or funds right now going and links will the be legal defense legal defense fund, fund is the big one good. and that will be in the link as well or not in the link link will be in the description as well and uh yeah bye guys Goodbye.